Well, thank you, Dave, and thank you, uh, IWP, for the for the invitation uh, to talk on my book and the issue of politicization of, uh, of U.S. intelligence. Before we begin, I'd like to tell you, tell you uh, two short stories about myself related to this. First, in uh, 1986, I was an analyst at the Central Intelligence Agency. I was working on, on Eastern Europe, and uh, uh, my colleagues and I one day received instruction that we should uh, uh, add additional negative uh, adjectives and uh, make, make, in essence, the East European communist countries look worse than they, they really were. We were not coddling the East Germans or the, or the, or the Hungarians, but uh, we were told that the uh, then director of the analysis director, Bob Gates, wanted us to, uh, to make these people look, look worse. This was politicization to us, uh, and it, uh, it, it generated some unpleasant conversations. And I've been very sensitive to the issue of politicization ever since, so that when uh, we began to see see it again in 2016, I was I was uh, quite a, quite attuned to it. And secondly, uh, a lot of people think that because I'm criticizing the 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 politically active people in the intelligence community who have criticized candidate and then President Trump, that I am a Trump supporter. Uh, that is not the case. I did not vote for Mr. Trump in 2016 or 20. I do not intend to, to vote for him uh, again uh, in 2024. This uh, issue, this study, and my talk here is about the, the attitudes and the actions, uh, the politically important attitudes and actions of current and former intelligence officers and their consequences. So with that, let's, uh, let's go to the next slide. So what are we talking about when we're talking about politicization? There are two, two definitions, really. Uh, one that, that is used occasionally is the so-called top-down uh, politicization. Every once in a while, a president will say to intelligence, now I want you to write something, and here's what I want you to say. But that's very unusual. Normally, the top-down variant involves the use of intelligence in political battles in Washington on Capitol Hill. Uh, this actually is a measure of the usefulness of intelligence. If if this kind of thing were not happening, then intelligence wouldn't be wouldn't be useful. Uh, far more important is the bottom-up variety. This is what intelligence officers are told from their first days on the on the job. You will not inject personal uh, political uh, views uh, into your intelligence products. It is completely inappropriate to try to. To, to slant intelligence to serve uh, individual or group uh, interests. But that in fact has happened and uh, that's the subject of, of our discussion here today. Next. There, there have been four cases uh, in US, US history. Uh, the first three are relatively minor. The second one is the one that I just talked about, the one that I experienced. The first two were not public at the time, became, became publicly available only years later. The third one was slightly uh, public at the time, uh, but none of the first three made a major difference on uh, US politics, on the, on, the, on the political system in the country. The fourth one, the last one, is vastly different, much, much, much bigger and much more significant. So that's what we'll talk about here today. Next. This is the beginning of our, uh, our current, current episode. So Michael Morell, former deputy uh, CIA director, 
career intelligence analyst, uh, opted to write an op-ed in the New York Times uh, in, in August of 2016, just after Donald Trump was, was, uh, was, was anointed the Republican nominee. And this is among the things that, that he wrote. This is actually incorrect. Uh, either a purposeful misrepresentation or, a, or uh, a misrepresentation anyway, in two respects. First, uh, uh, Morrell and, and all other intelligence officers uh, do indeed call it as they see it regarding foreign intelligence issues. But he's talking here about domestic issues. That's, that is not a CIA job. And secondly, uh, no CIA officer ever recommends policy uh, to, to Americans, uh, much less recommending, recommending the policy decision of a, of a voter choice. So this, this would be the first of a number of cases in which truth became an, an issue, uh, uh, both on the part of Mr. Mr. Trump and also on the part of his critics. Next, please. So the, the, the rather large uh, reaction to, to Morrell's comment um, uh, and then the many other uh, comments and, and leaks that began soon thereafter led me very quickly, especially given my sensitivity from 1986, to think that, uh, that there are three important questions that needed to be answered from a social science perspective. Uh, first, what exactly is new? I mean, uh, uh, attitudes and, and activities completely inconsistent with what we've seen before. Uh, what exactly is happening here and where? Where in, this, in the sense of uh, what, what organizations, which agencies? How and why did these, uh, the, 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 these new uh, activities occur? Uh, they didn't happen by accident. What's the origin of them? And then thirdly, uh, what are the implications, long, short, and in, in, uh, in, many, in many ways? So as a, as a political scientist, I tried to address this from a social science perspective and did uh, the sorts of things that social scientists normally do. I looked at the vast amount of open source literature, books, articles, television uh, interviews, and, and, and so on. I did about 15 uh, semi-structured interviews with, with, uh, with, with knowledgeable people, but I also had uh, two other big advantages that were unique to me and relatively few other people. Uh, uh, first, I'd spent 12 years at the Central Intelligence Agency as an analyst, another four years at the National Intelligence University, relatively recently, so I knew a lot about the in internal workings of the IC, the intelligence community, uh, uh, and I also knew a lot of people. And the, those people, several dozen of them, helped me a lot in providing information about what was what was going on. So those uh, those additional factors have have uh, helped helped uh, dramatically, I think, in this in this study. Next. So what's new? Uh, first, first, uh, first, uh, uh, intelligence officers cite their intelligence credentials for a large number of views, including partisan political views. So you just saw an example of that in, in terms of morale that would occur repeatedly um, uh, in, um, in the comments of, of other people. Unlike in the past, uh, formers especially, but some leakers talk in very self-righteous terms that they know truth, they know, they, they know truth that others don't. 
they resurrected the 1960s version uh, slogan, uh, uh, truth to power. They decided that they would talk their truth to Mr. Trump's power. And they said repeatedly that they felt a moral obligation to share this version of truth with, with uh, the world in, in, indeed. And then thirdly, they defended themselves vigorously. In the past, intelligence officers had, had recognized that they made mistakes and they often took the fall for, for presidential uh, policy failures, uh, but that uh, is no longer the case. Uh, there was a strong defense of the agencies against the, the alleged assault on intelligence by, by Donald Trump. And some of them indeed flatly said, we, we deserve uh, respect as individuals and, and, and uh, as organizations as in essence a property right. All of those things dramatically, dramatically new. Next. So where did it happen? Uh, mainly in the 2016-21 period, it was at the CIA and at the Office of the Director of uh, National Intelligence, the ODNI. Uh, well, you see a number of, of bits of evidence uh, uh, to that effect. Uh, um, uh, uh, DNI Jim Clapper was an influence on the ODNI, uh, but, but there was not a real internal um, politicization activity within the agencies elsewhere. The, uh, the FBI situation was considerably different. Some of the senior people who complained about uh, Mr. Trump and wrote books about them, director Jim Comey, uh, Andrew McCabe, the deputy director and so on, complained in, uh, in pr pretty different terms. They, 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 their complaints were largely personal related to the fact that uh, the Trump had fired them. Uh, and there, but there also were counterintelligence concerns. So the, 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 uh, the FBI began to look in 2016 at charges that, uh, that uh, the Trump campaign and maybe even Donald Trump himself were, were, uh, were compromised from the counterintelligence perspective vis-a-vis uh, -vis Russia. That all turned out to, to not be the case. The other agencies were only modestly affected until uh, until 2021, I found found no evidence that they were they were uh, active at all really in that 16 to 21 period. That now has changed. The Biden administration is is uh, moving pretty aggressively uh, to politicize uh, the, the agencies of the government as a whole, including the the the. Uh, the IC agencies. So we'll 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 come back to that uh, and talk just a little bit about that. Next, there's six reasons six reasons I, I found why there would be uh, 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 the changes we talked about. So I want to talk about three of those. The the three that are in red. The the listing here is generally speaking in chronological order. They are not all of uh, similar importance. The demographics is an important one, and two on the next slide are important too. So when I talk about demographics, uh, Mr. Uh, President Obama's policies, and then also the uh, the policies of some senior leaders, particularly DNI Clapper and uh, and uh, CIA Director uh, John Brennan. Next, please. Demographic changes. So there was a. Um, Significant change in the demography of the intelligence community after 2001. Uh, the intelligence community, like the Defense Department, 
received uh, lower budgets in the 1990s as part of the peace dividend. Uh, and in the IC, there were fewer hires. The, the, the head count on the, on the workforce declined. And so there were, there were simply relatively few new people uh, coming in in the 1990s. Uh, after 9-11, after President Bush directed the IC to get considerably bigger to fight the terrorist threat. And as a result, the agencies brought in a large number of mainly uh, younger people who had uh, uh, importantly different uh, collective views on a number of things who very quickly changed the organizational cultures of, of many of the agencies, especially including CIA. The important ones were social issues, uh, issues particularly related to race, to gender, to, to uh, uh, sexual orientation, and, and so on. These are, were much more important to, the, to these uh, younger people, and they made it clear that, that, that those were seriously con serious concerns. They also had some, uh, some lower, lesser respects for traditional norms that were important in the intelligence community, including the ability, the, the, the importance of, of maintaining uh, security. And a number of these people became uh, considered to be, uh, be uh, so-called insider threats, counterintelligence threats. A number of them also expressed the, the idea that uh, as sharp people, they had the right to, to express themselves uh, publicly. You combine the two of those together and you get the, uh, the, the, the leak uh, situations of Ed Snowden and uh, Bradley Manning, as he was, uh, as he was uh, known at the time. And, and not least, uh, and related to these other two points, is that their schooling in the, in the past had been that, that uh, their, 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 uh, their job as good citizens was to convey to uh, the rest of the world their views and to help change the world in a, in a, positive, in a positive way. So these characteristics were relevant to senior leaders who, who had uh, similar ambitions. So next slide, please. Uh, a, an important senior leader who wanted to, to uh, transform the, the United States was, uh, was President Obama. He made it clear from uh, the, the time of his campaign, Senator Obama in October of 2008 promised to, 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 to transform the, the, the United States if he became president. He made it clear from the very beginning that he wanted the federal government as a good place to start. Uh, he wanted to make the federal government look like America. And he, he did that initially, but one of the most important ways he did that was through this executive order, 13583, which uh, unlike a lot of executive orders was an important one in the sense that it actually had some power. So it created diversity offices in all federal agencies, including IC agencies, these, these offices had power. They had power to, uh, to mandate accountability of senior managers and to, uh, to, to uh, exert sanctions if there were failures to comply with, with uh, hiring and general treatment uh, policies associated with uh, the executive, executive order. There was clearly an, an effort to change the organizational culture of the government as a whole. 
And that had ramifications within the IC as well in terms of both changing organizational cultures and also changing the demography of the, uh, of the workforce. Now, Obama couldn't uh, do all that by himself, so he, need, he needed some help. Uh, and uh, it started from the very beginning. Uh, DCIA uh, Panetta um, made the made the announcement in summer of 2009 that, that there would be a big hiring of minorities. But his, his best helpers were uh, were Clapper and Brennan, the two the two men that I mentioned uh, mentioned earlier. Next slide, please. So DNI James Clapper was uh, was was Obama's second and last. Uh, DNI. He made it clear in his book, you can see the cover there on the lower right, uh, that he was a longtime supporter of principles that later became known as DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as DNI, he, he did a number of things that were important. And I think you can divide them into two, two categories. First, he, he promulgated a number of policies uh, or directives and, and so on, such as the, the one you see there, strategy for for uh, for uh, doing doing uh, diversity for coming years for the future, and he also uh, uh, implemented and many in many cases initiated uh, a series of of uh, events that were consistent with the overall policy intent. And these these particularly emphasize the importance of of uh, of supporting and promoting hiring and so on. Uh, the, the favored demographic groups of the Obama administration. So this would be women, minorities, gays, and eventually people with, with, with disabilities. This policy also changed the demography of uh, the government appreciably. There were clear uh, uh, incentives to alter the demographic profile. Uh, and, um, and there were changes in the, in the Clapper years, although not enough uh, for him, he expressed unhappiness in uh, January 2017 with the, with the progress that he had made and uh, uh, made a written report, which continues. You can see an annual report along these lines published every year since, which, which indicates the success at changing the demographic com com uh, composition of the, of the intelligence community. So he, uh, he was important in that respect. Next, next please. So some uh, some some other observations about him. He was one of the ones who who said he had a moral duty to warn against uh, President Trump. So this is an, a, another case of a misrepresentation by intelligence people to the community as a whole, the country as a whole. And uh, in in, in uh, the intelligence business, you don't warn about events that have already occurred. Uh, the purpose of warning is to alert about future events. Uh, but uh, I see people were warning about uh, about Donald Trump for four years. He also uh, was a was a, a very active person in the in the uh, anti-Trump uh, 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 campaign after he left office in January of 2017. Signer of open letters and uh, and he leaked leaked quite a bit. Uh, he made a number of statements that 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 uh, are just pretty obviously wrong. You see several of them there. And uh, later on, uh, he became a, a, a paid uh, political commentator for, for CNN and talked uh, regularly during the Trump years about all, all kinds of, of subjects for, for CNN, which was one of the major anti-Trump uh, news, news media. 
Next, please. Uh, John Brennan was the second and, and, and also important uh, contributor here. Uh, Brennan was a career CIA officer, mainly an analyst, although he did a little bit in the, in the operations world. He made it clear in his book, you see cover on the lower right, that, that he intended to change CIA's organizational culture. And he aimed to change it in a way consistent with, with uh, uh, goals of, of President Obama. He made a number of, of over, internally over um, changes in the way CIA uh, hired, promoted, and awarded employees that remain in effect. Uh, he gave preferences to hiring women in 2013. The result of that, since that policy has continued, is that, is that the CIA workforce now is, is, is slightly over, last I looked, slightly over 50% female. Uh, that means that CIA's uh, uh, wor uh, workforce has, has more women as a percentage than the, the, the workforce of the federal government as a whole and of the, uh, the, the, the economy as a whole, uh, but the preferences remain. Uh, same thing for minorities. There were clear preferences. There, were, uh, there was an effort to encourage uh, LGBTQ people. Uh, and... Um, and not only that, uh, uh, Brennan regularly cajoled his employees to be politically active. So, as a, as a, uh, or in the wake of the, the, uh, the, the win by, uh, by Trump in uh, November of 2016, um, uh, uh, Brennan had two meetings in the CIA auditorium in which he told his 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 employees, uh, you know, fight the new Trump administration. Uh, and make sure that you you do not do things that or do, do not allow things to happen that would interfere with the progress word that he used the progress that he had made on DEI uh, issues. So in the next slide, you'll see a a uh, a quotation. Next slide, please. Uh, this is a this is a, a measure of the. The importance that Brennan and and implicitly others put on the the, the DEI uh, agenda. So uh, in Brennan's last week in office in January 17, he talked to uh, to Wall Street Journal reporter, and he he talked not about uh, the wonderful things that CIA had done in the analysis world and the collection world and so on. Talked about about how how his important uh, contribution had been in, the, in the, the DEI area, and he said that he told his employees that they should uh, seize the seize the opportunity and uh, make sure that make sure that bad things didn't happen to interfere with 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 this with this this progress. So uh, this was um, not not a passing thing. He actually said basically the same thing in his book. That there's a quotation in the book that is very, very close to what was published in the, in the Wall Street Journal. Next slide, please. So the result of all of this, putting this together, uh, I think we can say that the, the, uh, the, the origin of the, the politicization that emerged uh, dramatically in 2016 was ongoing from the early days of the Obama administration. CIA had traditionally been a liberal organization to be sure, but not an activist organization. So with, between the changes of the, 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 the EO of 2011, 
Brennan's policy and so on, you had a, a real change in the organizational culture at CIA, uh, but it was not overt because un, until mid-2016, uh, most people in the intelligence community, like most people in the country, thought that that uh, uh, Hillary Clinton would become president in January of 2017 and would continue Obama's policies, which many at CIA liked. But when Trump became a, co a coherent and threatening uh, uh, candidate, that there was a possibility that the progress might be reversed, then the, uh, the, the, uh, the intelligence officers within and outside the intelligence community decided that they needed to to energize and to act against this threat. Next, please. So, among the uh, the new formers, there were uh, uh, particularly kind of Clapper and Brennan became uh, formers and then were free to speak in on January the twentieth of uh, of two thousand and seventeen. Brennan quickly became the face and the voice of intelligence community opposition to, to Trump. And uh, Brennan quickly also became a very active uh, uh, Twitter user. Uh, and he engaged in uh, uh, tweet battles with, uh, with the, now, the now president. You can see here some of the, the comments that he made. These are arguably pretty outrageous in, uh, in, in some, some important respects and pretty quickly generated a lot of negative, uh, negative reaction. I mentioned that I had uh, about 15 uh, structured interviews. In about 10 of those, I talked about uh, the role that uh, Brennan had in, in, in the, the anti-Trump campaign. Uh, none of those 10 thought that, that these kinds of, of uh, uh, comments were helpful to the anti-Trump campaign. Um, and in some cases, there were some public public commentary uh, along the same lines. So you can see one of them here on the next slide. So this is John Seifer, a former CIA uh, operations officer, a senior person, and clearly an anti anti Trump person. But uh, he's he's also saying, uh, uh, "Hey, John Brennan, you're uh, you're you're making this too much about yourself. Uh, you really ought to stop doing this." Uh, he, in fact, did not. So Trump continued on through throughout the through. Excuse me, uh, Brennan continued to do this throughout the, the the Trump administration. Next, please. So uh, we've talked so far about uh, about former uh, intelligence officers. There was a lot of activity by by current uh, ones too. Uh, in, uh, in current intelligence officers cannot go on television like the the formers can, uh, but they can tell vocal formers about what they what they think and let them do some talking for them. Uh, the press too, it's um, you know imagination. Uh, an imaginative initiative created uh, anonymous uh, sites for people to, to, to leak information. And of course, uh, they could do the old traditional uh, method of simply talking with, with journalists. Uh, a lot of what the IC employees did was, uh, was leak um, uh, information that was derogatory to, to Trump or his, em, him, employee, his employees, his, his appointees, particularly Mike Pompeo, who was the first 
uh, director of uh, CIA in, in, the, in, the, in the Trump years. Uh, Pompeo was DCIA for about 15 months. Uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the leaks were actually incorrect. They were what's known in the intelligence business as disinformation. They were incorrect leaks designed purposefully to generate negative uh, views of, uh, of, of targets. In terms of magnitude, uh, there were at least three serious studies done to try to identify just how, how much uh, more uh, leaking was, was done. Attorney General Sessions in Trump's first year uh, found that the rate of, of, uh, of increase was, was on the order of six, six times, six to seven times. So it really was, was Trump's first five and a third month, months in office, January 20 to, the, to June 30th. Um, Senator Ron Johnson asked his staffers on the, on the Senate uh, Governmental Affairs Committee to look, look into this too. Uh, and uh, there were slightly different, uh, different criteria used. Uh, these, these folks looked at the first five months of the Trump administration compared to the first five months of the Obama administration in 2009, found that there was a leak about every day in the Trump years versus about once a week in the Obama years. So a factor again of about seven. And the Federation of American Scientists used a different method um, uh, and came up with the same basic pattern. There was uh, a lot more leaking in the, in, the, in the Trump years. Plus there were quite a number of anecdotal stories along those lines that were uh, less, uh, less, less, less rigorous. Next please. Uh, one of the, the, the major elements and the bones of contention in this, this criticism was the, was the issue of truth. Uh, did uh, did, um, uh, did uh, Donald Trump speak truth? Uh, he, he had a reputation for having what I call casual respect for, for facts, but uh, intelligence people uh, also had some major problems in terms of, of telling just out and out untruths, uh, arguably lies, uh, and uh, and damage their credibility uh, credibility as a as a result. Uh, among the, the the key points here that resurrected the truth to, to power slogan, this was part of the original politicization effort going back to the 1960s, uh, and they they clearly were saying we intelligence officers know truth. And we're going to shove that truth at, uh, at Donald Trump's power. Uh, but again, there were a number of cases of, of misrepresentation or, or lying. You can see several of them there. And again, there was a real misrepresentation, not so much lying, but a misrepresentation of the warning function. Uh, warning is about the future, not about uh, the, 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 the present and the past. And indeed, intelligence is never really about the truth. It's about trying to, 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 uh, to, to help uh, generate foresight, to reduce uncertainty, to help decision makers make better decisions. It's not about finding the truth. And uh, this is not a new comment. And people, people really do pretty much know that. You can see two, uh, two adjectives used there by uh, very prominent and, and respected uh, former former uh, intelligence analysts. Uh, I'm particularly fond myself of the term arrogant, uh, but that's, that's, uh, that's uh, still being used. Next, please. So here's the, here's the, the real origin, as best I can tell, of the use of, 
the truth to power um, mantra slogan, if you will. And it uh, it goes back quite a long time to the late 1950s uh, when uh, when uh, uh, Director of Central Intelligence Alan Dulles, who was a long-serving uh, DCI in the 1950s, uh, uh, told the people who were building the new CIA headquarters building in the late 1950s that he wanted this biblical biblical um, uh, phrase engraved on the entryway at CIA headquarters. Uh, but we know now from uh, Ray Klein, who was the uh, head of the analysis director at the time, that Dulles had no, no intent whatever uh, of making this a domestically oriented uh, uh, slogan. Uh, his point was that the CIA was then in a bitter, brutal, uh, uh, tough fight with the, the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union lied a lot. It, it used uh, disinformation. The CIA was, was going to, to help, uh, help spread truth and help make uh, other people and Americans free. Nothing to do, whatever, with domestic politics. Next, please. So was there, uh, was there a uh, Trumpian uh, assault on intelligence? This is another one of the standard complaints of the, of the activists against, against um, candidate and then President Trump. And you can see that uh, former CIA director Mike, Michael Hayden actually named his book, uh, uh, his second book, uh, The Assault on, on Intelligence. But there really was not such a thing, despite the claims. Uh, even, even with a title, Hayden does not say in his book that, that Trump started it. Uh, this was a question that a friend of his in Pittsburgh asked him, a childhood friend. Hey, Mike, this fellow said, did, uh, did, uh, you know, who started the Trump IC problem? And uh, Hayden says, uh, well, it wasn't Trump. Uh, Clapper uh, in his book says the same thing. Uh, did Trump cut the IC budgets? No, the requests were steadily higher and the actual monies appropriated went up pretty regularly in Trump's years. Trump did not ask any of his uh, DNIs or uh, CIA directors to, 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 to try to reform, to shape up, to shake up uh, any of the IC agencies. There was nothing, nothing whatever. And to make sure that that would, would not happen at CIA, he named Gina Haspel career CIA operations officer to be the CIA director. There wasn't a chance in the world that she was going to, 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 to do that. And for that, and then on top of that, uh, we know that the Trump was often, often very, uh, very uh, positive in his, in his commentary about, in, about intelligence officers, but he was very different than uh, many previous presidents. Whereas, whereas a president like Nixon, for example, would uh, say nice things about about intelligence publicly, but dis but be very disparaging in private. Trump was the opposite, so that gave an, an intelligence officers reason to, especially reasons to to complain about him. Next, there was a uh, major and a very unusual alliance uh, between uh, between intelligence officers, the press, and uh, the House Intelligence Committee, the HIPSI. Uh, in the in the second two years of the the Trump administration, and they provided mutual support, and I think uh, to some degree used uh, used each other as well. The the um, important thing from intelligence officer standpoint was that was that anti-Trump press, particularly the Washington Post and New York Times, as well as a number of the 
the electronic media uh, were very willing to give them uh, opportunities to write negative things about uh, about about Trump. And uh, uh, lots of interviews and, and at least 17 paid positions by anti-Trump uh, 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 former intelligence officers. The, uh, the uh, media in turn, the, the, the anti-Trump media in turn used use these intelligence officers against Trump. After all, uh, they made the point abundantly clear repeatedly, intelligence officers know lots about all sorts of things and they are credible witnesses against the uh, the evils of the, of the of the of the Trump administration. And then there was again unusually a, a clear alliance uh, between the HEPC and, and particularly uh, Chairman uh, Adam Schiff and and uh, in intelligence officers. There was a lot of help. The most prominent example is the 2019 case in which. The, uh, the Hipsy staff helped the whistleblower who eventually led to Trump's uh, first impeachment uh, to, uh, to figure out a way to make sure that his, his uh, information became as public as possible. Next, please. So another, uh, another of the issues that arose uh, this time from the, uh, from the Trump side of things was the, 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 uh, the allegation that there was a deep state. So, we, we see lots of activity by intelligence officers, the collaboration with the press and the HIPSI and so on. Uh, did, that, did that mean that there was a, a deep state uh, of any sort? Uh, there are two general varieties in the literature. One is the, the kind that you, you see discussed in, in uh, countries like Turkey or Pakistan or Thailand in which uh, security services willing to fight established leaders, sometimes sometimes violently. There also is a, a so-called permanent government literature uh, in the political science literature here in the United States about the ways in which government agencies will fight each other over, over responsibilities, turf and budget and kudos for doing a good job and so on. But though neither of those is really relevant to, I think, what happened in the in the, the 2016 and earlier period that became clear in 2016. And here are some of the differences that, that I think are important. First is that it really was, uh, it really was a top-down creation. So President Obama and Clapper and, and Brennan and others uh, really created this, mainly in the form of the diversity offices. Uh, that means that there's relatively little structure that means that there, this is not a strong deep state of the sort that you see in the third world, uh, but it also has a strength in the sense that it's, it's really hard to identify who's, who's a part of it. And that will mean that fighting it, uh, if, if one wants to do that, will be, will be difficult. In the 2016-21 uh, period, it was strongest at CI and the ODNI. I think it's getting stronger elsewhere now was never challenged in the Trump years uh, and uh, certainly is not being, uh, being challenged in the, in the Obama period. So the upshot here is that, is that it, it uh, is intact. Uh, it thinks with some justification that it helped to defeat Trump in 2020. Uh, and I think a stronger deep state remains uh, uh, available and willing to reactivate if necessary in 2024. Next, please. 
There's a comment about the deep state. Uh, uh, a little surprised that John McLaughlin, a career CIA analyst, would say that. He, he knew that it would be quoted by, uh, by the press and by people like me. But when he said this, thank God for the deep state, he was talking clearly about CIA. There's no, no doubt about it in the context of his, of, of his comments. Next. The, uh, there were a number of episodes of, of politicization that grabbed the attention of the, of the press and certainly of, uh, of Mr. Mr. Trump's supporters. One of the most obvious ones that's become clear now is the so-called, uh, so uh, uh, what I call anyway, the Laptop 51 case. So as many of you know, in the, in the fall of 2020, uh, um, a technician found that on Hunter Biden's uh, laptop, there was a lot of indicate, there were a number of indications, documents that indicated that there might be a corruption problem involving both Hunter and members of the fam his family, including his father. There was a story about this in the New York Post in mid-October uh, mid 2020, right before the election. So this this threatened a November surprise, November surprise, October surprise, and had the potential to deal to derail uh, um, uh, Mr. Biden's um, uh, presidential ambitions. So so the the Biden campaign, uh, in the form of Anthony Blinken, who was a senior campaign official at the time, later Secretary of State asked uh, Michael Morrell, whose comment you saw earlier, and, uh, and uh, uh, Mark uh, Polymeropoulos to, to uh, try, try and come up with a letter uh, from former senior intelligence officers that would indicate that, that, that this, that, that's the information that the New York Post presented was probably, probably Russian disinformation. So Morrell uh, and Polymeropoulos solicited a number of former intelligence officers, eventually got 51 signatures, including their own. One of the people who I talked to who received a solicitation said that the solicitation explicitly stated that the letter was designed to help the Biden campaign. Uh, so this was, this was the story, the post story was stifled by the legitimate press, by social media, until after the uh, after the 2020 election, uh, helping helping to uh, uh, to preserve uh, the the election of, of, of President Biden. Next, please. So was Trump eventually uh, uh, angry at intelligence? Absolutely. Uh, he 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 said repeatedly to a number of people he wasn't wasn't very happy. The term coup came up. Uh, uh, over 2016 allegations in the so-called Steele dossier. Uh, there also were a, a number of other case, cases later on, and he, he uh, specifically labeled uh, Brennan as a very bad person for the for the leaks that you saw. So it's not too surprising that that he would do that. Uh, and and also he expressed unhappiness with his his daily briefers. So the PDB, the President's Daily B, br Daily Brief briefers. Uh, historically have been very, very, very tight-lipped, but these people uh, did in fact uh, leak. Uh, tr uh, Trump came to learn of it and he wasn't very happy with it. So all of this uh, said, he nevertheless kept large numbers of, in of intelligence people at the White House. He kept getting his daily briefings. Uh, he interacted with intelligence people pretty regularly, consistent with the sort of norm of presidents. Uh, 
and he still praised people on occasion. So he was he was not uh, not 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 a person who turned off uh, the intelligence uh, flow at all, really. Uh, although he certainly could have. Next, please. So let's talk a little bit about about the costs here. These are non-trivial. Uh, the most important of these, I think, is that the the purposeful effort to change the organizational culture uh, of the intelligence community has damaged its analytic object objectivity. In the past, there was an effort made to acquire a, a wide range of different views to encourage diversity of thought, not necessarily diversity of demography, and, 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 and uh, uh, tough debates were the norm. Uh, and there was a so-called review process that was used to uh, ensure that 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 errors of all sorts, including uh, uh, biases, were were expunged from analytic products before they were were eventually published. So we know from the historical literature that when there are uh, groups of people, when there are organizational cultures that begin to take specific specific views and when cognitive closure occurs, when a group decides it's already got the, the, the definitive understanding on a complicated issue, that mistakes are made. And we know that some intelligence officers have, have said in the past, I, I really don't like this closure. Uh, John Gannon, who was a, a former senior uh, CIA analyst, uh, head of the analysis directorate and also the, the head of the National Intelligence Council told me that he uh, he used his national intelligence officer for warning as a as a prod of organizational uh, uh, excuse me of analytic organizations that uh, that 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 would not continue to to think about difficult issues so there are a number of cases here we know about quite a number of them you see some of them there let me talk about just one of them uh, that that happened in, uh, in in January of 2021. So the ODNI analytic ombudsman, who then was Barry Zuloff, wrote a letter to Senate Intelligence Committee, which is online. You can find it, in which he said, among other things, that that uh, that um, uh, China analysts within the IC were refusing to send intelligence information to to the Trump White House because they thought that this information would, would uh, help uh, administration policies and they did not want to help uh, the Trump administration. And, uh, and Zuloff called them out on that. And there were a number of others. Uh, the, this became a major concern of Robert Jervis. Now, uh, late Robert Jervis, formerly of Columbia University, longtime student of U.S. intelligence, who argued that that this this damage to analytic objectivity was probably the biggest concern, the biggest unknown, also about the politicization of, of recent years. We do not know how much and and how badly this politicization has has occurred because most intelligence reporting is classified, of course. Uh, it's not been released and the intelligence community refused to examine the issue. So my, my expectation is that we will not see a serious external look at this issue until after another major intelligence failure. Next, please. 
Uh, key other, uh, another key element here was the issue of the balkanization of the workforce. So demography, uh, major point in the, the alteration of the IC, this was Obama, one of Obama's major goals, make, make the government, make the IC look like America. So you've created now uh, a number, a dozen or so so-called employee resource groups, which are made up of, of demographic groups. So these are people who are, are separated, they're supposed to be safe, but in fact, this encourages uh, divisions among the workforce. And uh, just a few, a few examples here on the, on the, on the bottom, bottom there, even during the, the Brennan years at CIA, the, the policies of Brennan, push, the push down of DEI policies created what a number of analysts were calling soft totalitarianism. So they remembered, some of them experienced the totalitarianism of the Soviet years. Many of them knew about China and they saw what Brennan was doing was being a modest version, a soft version of the, of the, the, uh, the, the uh, control really that totalitarian states make. Uh, uh, later on, uh, a, a senior retired analyst told, told me, this was a fellow who retired from very senior positions, was still working as an annuitant and, a, and an important part of the, the intelligence community. And he said this, um, uh, let me just read this, political correctness rules. With the increased political divide, it is hard to be outspoken. We choose our close colleagues carefully. This is a devastating critique of management. One of the core um, requirements really of the intelligence business for many, many years and, and one of its core characteristics that I experienced was that, was that people needed to work together. These are difficult problems and, and uh, you need to have people who work together who aren't scared of violating uh, violating ideological uh, rules, uh, but uh, quite a number of people have told me that th that is now a significant, significant problem. Uh, it's also been implemented at the State Department. There are literally, literally monthly awards ceremonies uh, at state, including at state, uh, the state intelligence organization, INR. Uh, where where people get uh, get points for doing things that are uh, are are politically correct. For example, putting putting um, putting pronouns on one's uh, signature block on on, on email. Uh, this is dividing the workforce in yet another way. Uh, a number of people are quite happy with this, uh, but a number of people are not. So divisions are occurring. Uh, within the workforce now on, on, uh, on ideological grounds as well as as well as others. Next, please. And there are some others. A core one is the issue of trustworthiness. If 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 uh, if intelligence is perceived to be politicized, it's going to damage the trustworthiness, the credibility of intelligence, uh, and and perhaps the government as a whole. Uh, intelligence that's not trusted will not be used. Um, uh, and this is a serious long-term problem for the utility of the intelligence community as a whole. Uh, activists undoubtedly think they succeeded, as I mentioned, uh, and uh, since there's been no effort to alter the, the, uh, alter the, the organizational cultures, the, 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 
what the deep state or whatever it is that arose in 2016 is still there, stronger than before. And again, I think we can expect to see it arise when there when it is uh, quote needed to do uh, to do defense of of views that are deemed to be important. Next. So here's a here's a relatively recent statement of the continuing uh, view uh, in this case. Uh, CI Director Burns uh, about the importance of, uh, of of DEI related issues. So this was a this was part of a memo to uh, to to uh, CIA retirees. Next, please. Uh, a uh, speculative uh, issue, but one that one that generated a lot of attention in the, in in the early. Well, early uh, Biden years was an interview that John Brennan had on uh, MSNBC uh, television, and he basically is basically is uh, saying here that the the Biden administration might turn uh, the foreign intelligence uh, services against domestic enemies, or at least that's the way it's been interpreted in a number of quarters. I have not seen say again not seen any uh, activity by the the Biden administration to do this. And there are a lot of intelligence officers who think that what Brennan said here is really a bad idea. Uh, but the fact that it's now public, uh, it's publicly been stated by a prominent person, uh, leaves, uh, leaves a number of people still wondering about whether this, in fact, will happen in the future. Next. So uh, uh, put all this together, uh, key points, uh, elements of the IC are in fact politicized. Uh, CIA, CIA and the ODNI in the, in the Trump years. Since that time, um, Biden, Biden's people have, uh, have, have, uh, have improved from their perspective, the, uh, the, the politicization of other parts of, of the government. This was intentional um, in the Trump years, it was intentional. It was a result of Obama policies and those of, uh, of Brennan and Clapper in particular. In that respect, Trump was a, was a victim, though he came along uh, at a time when uh, he became a threat to this growing deep state, if you will, and, and which then reacted, reacted to him because uh, he, seemed to be a, he seemed to be a threat. As I've said several times, there's been no effort to address this issue. So, so the uh, the proverbial deep state is is alive and stronger and uh, and waiting on a, on a need uh, need for it to emerge again. Next, please. And then finally, for uh, for those of you who are who are who are students, uh, uh, I've said some things that are, uh, are not positive, as you can tell, about the intelligence community. Some things that are happening that are. I think problematic from a number of perspectives, but uh, the the intelligence world uh, is still important. It still does a does an important function. There still are lots of rewards uh, uh, there. The kinds of things that attracted lots of people and attracted me are still there. Uh, but the politicization uh, issue is important. It's also internal. So uh, even if you like the uh, the changes that have been made, and clearly a lot of, uh, of of IC employees do, they like it for either philosophical reasons or because the new policies uh, literally materially help them. 
But in any case, uh, the tensions that have been created will affect everyone. And if you're not someone who uh, agrees with these changes, it's crystal clear that, uh, that publicly saying that uh, at, at, at this stage uh, will be uh, uh, career damaging. Uh, so you'll wanna be careful about what you say uh, uh, at, all, at all the agencies. My suggestion is that uh, if you're, you're, you're thinking about seriously the, uh, the, the career option of going to work in the intelligence community, that you learn a lot, learn as much as you possibly can, talk with lots of people from different perspectives, different, uh, different uh, job backgrounds and so on. Uh, and uh, once you've learned as much as you possibly can, make, make career choices with, uh, with, with uh, open eyes and full information. And good luck to you. Oh.